This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. So we'll definitely talk about mini movable factories, but we have to take the audience on a journey. And, and you know, I think it starts with what we just said here. So let, let's dive into this a little bit. You believe, and I, I somewhat agree too, that if you have these warehouses uh, clustered around major, you know, zip codes or areas, then those factories can produce on site and can uh, service that area. Is that where real estate's heading, conventionally speaking? Are we going to start to see, you know, what we're seeing in the in the in, in the catering industry now is this concept of cloud kitchens or ghost kitchens, where you know, big box retail space or old restaurants or whatever are being repurposed. And now you don't necessarily walk into the restaurant and sit down and you know order food conventionally. You have your uh, third-party on-demand driver go there and pick it up. Are we going to see a somewhat of a similar evolution with how uh, construction works? Is 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 prefab going to be meaning not thousands of miles away, but much much more closer? How do you see this evolving as an industry? Yeah, I, I think that's that's the right comment. I just think it'll happen a lot slower than we saw the emergence of ghost kitchens. And that's kind of the constraint of the industry and kind of the big CapEx dollars involved, right? To build out a ghost kitchen, you're spending, you know, four or 500 bucks a foot on probably what, like, you know, 5,000 square feet. Here, people are focused it's on- It's not a heavy lift. It's not a heavy yeah, lift. And you can repurpose a lot of real estate for it. Exactly. Whereas here, you know, to launch a, a 200,000 square foot uh, plant that produces some sort of component, whether it's a module, you know, like the box we talked about, or it's a kit of parts, whoever, whatever that approach is, those groups are competing with the same warehouse that Amazon can overpay and lease. Ah, and, and of course, maybe the ghost kitchen analogy doesn't hold here because, you know, that analogy um, assumes you can put these 5,000 square foot uh, you know, facilities in urban, densely populated neighborhoods. That's not going to work because of the sheer size and scale of these warehouses. So where are these warehouses popping up? Is, 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 are they popping up in the same places where Amazon's competing for their own distribution of warehouse space? I mean, I think you're, you can actually answer that given you're an investor in Boxable, right? Because Boxable is approaching it with, right, that they also have factories, right, uh, that are leased in warehouses. So. I would imagine those warehouses are, you know, similar use cases as Amazon, exactly. And sometimes yeah, you're sir. building everything ground up and you're bringing a lot of heavy machinery in and, you know, you've got to work yeah. a lot on getting proximity. And I'm sure this is the case here too. Um, proximity to, to, to highway and, and easy, you know, exactly. on-ramp trucks. I, I, just I will say there is one group that we're really fond of that we think is doing this right, but they're focused on one specific subset, you know, in terms of asset classes plus the product they produce. And it's a company out of uh, out of Canada called Nexi. That company is focused on producing concrete panels for, you know, warehouses, repeatable quality type assets like retail, like Starbucks, right, where you can just quickly pop up using their panels. It's this concrete composite panel. But the way they've grown is, is very interesting and very similar to the way we're growing, which is, you know, this, this local factory approach servicing a certain area um, where there's a lot of geographic demand. You know, we're still in the early days, but is there an opportunity here for prospective real estate investors or speculators to go and oh start God. buying land and leasing to these large? Uh, Absolutely. To, to talk Absolutely. to us about that, because that's going to get some of our listeners very excited. 
this is going to be, you'll kind of hear this when we're talking about Kubi and some of the players, right? So like, let's take a step back for a second. If you look at a lot of the venture back groups, right? I think Boxable included, which, which, you know, they've been incredible in terms of the PR they've been able to get and the, how quickly they've been able to grow, right? And the orders they've been getting from retail investors, et cetera. But what you're seeing is now say, you know, anywhere from a dozen to two dozen venture backed, call it sticks and bricks, technology companies that are innovating in the construction space, they're all focused on raising venture dollars and then spending those dollars to innovate around what they think is the right way to construct. They're also taking on the work of the GC and the developer a lot of times, right? Because they're realizing that it's kind of hard to integrate and sell to those groups, so they have to do everything at once. Uh, so I, I think though, what they'll realize is, is the right approach is kind of what we're trying to do and what, uh, what Nexi is doing, which is for your real estate listeners, they're trying to find, you know, us, Nexi, they're trying to find smart real estate investors that will be the propco dollars behind these factories. And these factories will be super high EBITDA producing PNLs. Uh, and then they're just going to license their technology to these factories. And I think that's where that's where the world is going to move. So much to unpack here. So could you, as we move on to a sort of a different segment here, could you define the word propco and opco? I'd love to talk about this uh, deeper here. Sure. I mean, I think there's there's the simplest analogy. Everyone kind of knows Hilton, right? Before Hilton divested with their real estate assets and their and their kind of brand, right? But uh, the notion of propco and opco is there's a property holding company that is the physically asset heavy, you know, division or holding co behind those assets, and then separately there's an opco, an operating company that's behind some sort of brand innovation, et cetera. That's really the, no pun intended, but the operations of the business. And in, in what I was saying is there is, there's going to be a construction company that's innovative. That's the brand that's funneling the demand. And then there's going to be someone else that owns the factory and manages that PNL of that factory. And I think you'll see a lot of different factory owners that are all answering to one Opco brand or technology. Um, so similar to how you have uh, different franchisee owners in a way. And on the VC side, I'm certainly seeing a lot more Propco, Opco, and I think that's a very legitimate path and sometimes a needed path, especially if you've got a very unique technology, but you need the underlying real estate. Well, just go and start raising a fund and go and start bringing in investors and owning the underlying real estate, especially if your Opco can you know, bring in the technology, high margins and produce really good investor returns. I mean, you and I definitely, that's probably where you and I drive with the most, right? Just in terms of our respective thesis is I think there's such a missing cost of capital out there that sits somewhere between venture and real estate. And that's why you've seen a lot of businesses, you know, struggle, think co-working, think co-living, right? Because they're taking high cost of capital venture dollars and applying them to lower threshold real estate returns. And you don't see those businesses scaling well. So I think soon we'll see a big emergence of an asset class that sits somewhere in the middle because you have a lot of great businesses. You know, I put our business in that category where, you know, venture dollars don't necessarily solve all the pieces for us and we're missing a certain cost of capital. And now you're seeing kind of these credit facility, you know, firms like, you know, I-80, Upper 90, One Sharp is amazing, right? So you're seeing these groups kind of start focusing in that ecosystem. I think what we're really saying here is that there is a fundamental shift in the way prop tech is unfolding and the rise of the propco opco trend or, or you know structure uh, presents a lot of opportunity and the current problem is this uh, to double highlight what you said the current capital that goes into propco and opco 
uh, isn't well set up for these structures because venture dollars require often very high gross margin, no hardware involved, uh, and venture investors certainly yeah, and venture investors certainly don't want you know money going in to buying real estate. That that's definitely exactly. not acceptable. And on the other side of things, you've got your typical real estate investors that typically want high cash flow, and they can't stomach the idea that well we're investing into some type of private equity real business here. What we're seeing, uh, what I believe is that rather than the VCs and typical real estate funds benefiting from this trend, you've got a lot of special purpose vehicles and family offices that are coming in and sort of are more nimble, flexible, and understand this trend and realize, okay, this is a company that has two very distinct uh, you know, avenues of growth, uh, Opco and Propco, right? Both different, but would like to fund the entire thing. And I think family offices are, are one capital uh, flow that's coming in. Agreed. Agreed. Do, do you see anything uh, else there? Well, like I said, I think family office capital is, is probably the right approach today until we institutionalize this, this concept that goes beyond just hotels, right? Because if you actually look at hotels, I mean, the, the Propco, Opco concept is nothing new, right? Look at Citizen M, for example, a great hotel brand. It started by building out an Opco and that same dollars that built out the Opco brought alongside really big Propco dollars to help it grow. And I think we'll see that emerging across other asset classes. Um, but it's this chicken or the egg that keeps happening. In terms of other capital, I think you're starting to see what you know the 90s used to hold, which were these CapEx facilities, right? These you know lease TI facilities that used to exist uh, for retail. And now you're kind of seeing a similar resurgence of that and you're seeing groups that are you know producing credit facilities and like i said some include right the one sharps the i80s the upper 90s of the world they're starting to think in that way and you're seeing you know prop tech companies like you know even the getaways of the world and the saunders right even we work was getting there where they're launching these big credit facilities where the first dollars pay for subsidizing some of that borrowed uh money on the capex front 